Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. So the plan is this morning to get partway through this text and finish it this evening. Um, We're going to take up our How to Study the Bible again next week. But with it being a holiday weekend, I, I didn't want folks to miss the information, so we'll get back to that next Sunday night. But uh, this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 119, look at verse 81. Psalm 119 and verse 81. The Bible says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Do you see that? My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They had almost consumed me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me. After thy loving kindness, so shall I keep thy testimony, uh, keep the testimony of thy mouth. Lord, please help us as we study this text. Lord, what a profound text it is. And so, Father, I pray that this will be a help to your people and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice something at the end of verse 86. Help thou me. Help thou me. Have you all ever prayed that to God? You get to a situation where all you can say is, God, please help me. Please help me. And what this text is, it's interesting, this is towards the middle of Psalm 119. And one of the interesting things about this is this is the, this is the low point for David. This is the low point for the psalmist, or as, as uh, uh, Joe Biden said this past week, the palmist. Any of you see that? The palmist, this guy's a genius. And it's so interesting, in this text, if you took the current political situation, and don't worry, I'm not preaching on the election today. But if you took the current political situation, let's just read through this text and think about what's going on. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. It's interesting. Are we looking to the courts for salvation or are we looking to God? Are we looking to Donald Trump for salvation or are we looking to God? We as Christians, how is our spirit during this time? Look at the next verse. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? My eyes fail. We, we are, have we stopped looking at God's word to get an answer for what's going on, or are we looking to the news? Are we looking to, for information? Verse 83, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke, and I'll explain that in a few minutes. Verse 84, how many are the days of thy servant? You think President Trump's wondering that right now? I wonder how many days I'm going to serve. wonder what's going on. Look at the next. It's so interesting. When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? When's the Durham report going to come out? Isn't it amazing how just clear this is? And this is just for one situation. I wonder how many situations... In the 3,000 years since that was written, this has applied to. God's word is so powerful. It's so strong. How about this? Verse 85, the proud have digged pits for me. 
Do, do, do you think that the, is there, are there any arrogant media people coming after the president? Arrogant uh, CIA, FBI? Have they digged pits? They set traps for him in the Oval Office. Crazy. Then, look at what it says. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. The impeachment. Verse 87. They had almost consumed me upon the earth. Verse 88. Quicken me after thy loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. You know, I I hope that somewhere along the way, you know, the president made a profession of faith. We know that he did that with James Dobson. It does appear that his belief system has changed, but they're politicians. How do you know? Wouldn't it be wonderful if through this time the president found this text and started turning to God's word rather than anger, rather than personal strength, rather than personal power? So now let's take it off of politics and let's actually look at this text and see what it's talking about and find out how we can apply it to ourselves. Spurgeon said his enemies have brought him to the lowest condition of anguish and depression, yet he is faithful to the law and trustful in his God. This octave is the midnight of the psalm and very dark and black it is. Stars, however, shine out and the last verse gives promise of the dawn. You know, many Christians, they come to different points in their life where it is the darkest point of their life. And it seems like there's no way out of it. This is such a wonderful psalm to turn to. This section, this stanza, this octave, this, these eight verses, this is a perfect time to turn to it when things are dark in your life. The first thing I want you to see is salvation and hope. Verse 81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation but I hope in thy word. Now notice where he's looking for salvation. My soul fainteth for, what's that next word? Thy salvation. Thy salvation. When we get into trouble, who's the first person that we turn to? I've quoted this for years. I saw a, a Corey Ten Boom quote, and it said that we use God as our spare tire rather than as our steering wheel. We use prayer as our spare tire rather than as our steering wheel. So when, when the tire gets flat, when the trouble comes, then we pray. When we ought to pray before we get in the car, Lord, direct my steps. Help me. Help me. Our salvation comes from God. Our salvation doesn't come from government. Our salvation doesn't come from economics. We don't need the next government bailout. That's not what we're looking for. Our salvation comes from God. And it's not only our eternal salvation, it's our daily salvation. What David is talking about in this text is not eternity. What he's talking about here is his immediate salvation, his immediate need. I wonder right now how many people are scared to death of this pandemic. How many of you know Christians that are scared to death? There's a study, and and look look at this verse, and I'll I'll explain this to you. Um, Verse 87, they had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. There are churches that are being shut down all over the world because of this pandemic. This, all these mask mandates and the Nazis on the mask mandates. Um, there's a study that just came out of Denmark, and they started the study, I think, in February. And they looked at the cases of people. They studied people that were consistent in wearing masks compared to people who never wore them. 
Do you know what the difference was in the, in the, the number of people that got COVID? Zero. It doesn't work. Never has worked. And all of those studies have said it. But the social media today will not allow those to be reported. And even the major medical journals, people who have done these studies, they can't get them published because of politics. And what the government is doing and, and people in power are doing is they're using this to control us. And I was thinking about it this year at Grace Baptist. This was the year, 2020, was the year for us to take advantage of our new facility, to advertise, to promote, to bring people in, to preach the gospel to them. And because of COVID, we've not been able to do that. So I hope that you'll pray for me and the leadership at the church that we can come up with creative ways to invite people to church to overcome their fear because of this disease. People are so afraid of it. If you're under 70 years old, you've got a 99.8% chance of surviving it if you get it. it. People are crazy. I like what one person said. Our 74-year-old fast food eating president got over it in three days. And if you get it, it's not fun. How many of you have had it? How many of you have had it? Was it fun? Did you enjoy it? No. It's awful. Wade? Can't tell. Are you alive? Most of the time. You're not dead. No. Folks, the fear that people are living under and we're looking to government to find answers for these things, government can't take care of this. It's a virus. We need to turn to God. And how many of you think it honors God to stop serving Him because of the virus? I think what times like this do is they demonstrate to us whether or not we really trust Him. See, our salvation comes from God. And, and I've just got to tell you, are we supposed to be careful? Should we wash our hands? Yes. Should we be clean? Is that a good idea? If you're sick, should you stay away from people? Boy, I'm so glad we have government to tell us those things. How many of you knew you're supposed to wash your hands? How many of you know when you're sick, you're supposed to stay away from people? Y'all, y'all know that? This stuff, man, it is just so over the top. And we have to decide as believers, how are we going to live in this age? Because have you heard what Dr. Fauci is saying? It could be 2021. It could be 2022. They want to keep that control over us. And so if you have Gavin Newsom for your governor or you have Andrew Cuomo for your governor, then you might not be able to go to church And we need to pray that our governor gets primaried out of there and we get somebody that believes in liberty. Because this is crazy! Of course, the solutions make perfect sense. And I'm going to move on, don't worry. But I just... So, we want to to stay away from people. We want to practice social distancing. So let's make sure everyone goes in the same entrance. Let's shorten the hours so that more people have to be in there at the same time. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. 
Folks, we talked in Sunday school. The issue that we all have to stand on is truth. It's just truth. How many of you have ever taken a science class? You ever taken a science class? The science has not changed. Right? Let's stop eating in outdoor restaurants. That has nothing to do with the virus. It has to do with government control. We've got to stop looking to government for salvation. Whether the Republicans win or not has nothing to do with what we as a church are supposed to do. We have to do right. We have to think. He wished for no deliverance but that which came from God. His inmost nature yearned and pined for salvation from the God of all grace. And he must have it or utterly fail. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. I was listening to Frank Turek. He has a a podcast I listen to sometimes called Cross-Examined. And yesterday, his, his podcast was, there's two things that man can't live without. Man can't live without hope. When you lose hope, where are you going to go? And the second thing he said is you can't live without gratitude. He asked this question, have you ever met a happy person that wasn't grateful? Have you ever met a happy person that wasn't grateful? How many of you think that that's a really good thing to think about? Right? But where do we hope? Our hope has to be in God's Word. It has to be. But notice what happens in this text. Look at verse 82. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? When wilt thou comfort me? See, again, help thou me. Help me when my vision fails. See, David had studied the word so much, he had been expectantly looking for the deliverance of God, and yet his enemies had almost consumed him from the earth. He was looking for God so hard that he got to where he couldn't see. Boy, when you've gone to that dark night of the soul, when you've gotten to that dark place where you can't even see God in his word anymore, remember he's laid the foundation, that's where his hope is. My hope is in your word. And yet, you can't even see God's word anymore. Have you ever been to a place where you're so down you can't even study God's word? And he's begging, Lord, when are you going to comfort me? I need your help. I need your comfort. Again, Spurgeon said, Blessed are the eyes that are strained in looking after God. The eyes of the Lord will see to it that such eyes do not actually fail. How much better to watch for the Lord with aching eyes than to have them sparkling at the glitter of vanity. Remember, we've said it many times. Uh, It's a C.S. Lewis quote that God whispers to us in our pleasure and he shouts to us in our pain. And he's saying it's better to have eyes aching for the deliverance of God than to have eyes that are glittering with vanity. And I'm looking at everything that's going on and I want this and I want that. And I look at the world, that's beautiful and that's beautiful and that's beautiful and that's enticing. Give me that, give me that, give me that. And sometimes when we reach that dark place of the soul and all we can do is search for God. I've got this game that I play when I go down the road when I'm driving. Y'all know that I'm a car nut. I love cars, love vehicles. And so I've got this game that I play, yes and no. I'll see a car, yes, or I'll see a car, no. I want that one, I don't want that one. Yes, no. Trucks don't matter. Semis and stuff, I don't even have to do that. Those don't matter in my game that I'm playing in my head. Well, when we went through 
Riley, when he was born, got sick and died. You know what I found? I didn't play that game. All I did was drive down the road and look for God and pray, Oh God, help me, help me, help me, help me. Now here's the good news. That didn't last that long. That, didn't, that, that dark night of the soul, if I think about it, the, the pain is still there and all of that, but God gave us Lydia. Praise God. And I'm not stuck in that dark night of the soul. There are people that live in the dark night of the soul. They live there. And there are many reasons. It could be that you live in a country where it's full of disease, it's full of, of, of poverty, corrupt government. And when I was in Ghana, I'll, I'll never forget being in Ghana and seeing a girl selling pineapple slices. And they have open sewers. She dropped it into the sewer. And she picked it up and wiped it off and went on selling it. Somebody was going to eat that. We, uh, I, we, you could only drink Coke products there, you know, because everything else, that, that had uh, strict uh, cleanliness standards for those bottles. But I'll, I got a bottle and I picked it up and there was feces on the outside of it. Filth. Just living in filth. And they, 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 I think the life expectancy for a man was 30 or something like that because of the disease. And it just, we don't live in that. Can you all say amen to that? Now, if the teenagers had their way, that's, that's what their rooms look like, right? But we don't, <laughs> amen, <laughs> we, we don't live like that. Praise God, we get to live in the United States. We get to live in a small town that's clean and hardworking people. And it's just wonderful. But what about if you're, if you're living in that dark night of depression? Spurgeon, he understood that the dark night of the depression. And I'm so thankful that I, that I not lived there, but some of you do. It's something that, that comes up in you. And, boy, you need, to, you need to get good Christian counseling. It can get to a place where you need medication. Don't ever let anybody tell you that medication is sinful. Can we get an amen on that? It can help you. But, but honestly, too many people, that's the first thing they turn to. And that's not the right answer. Would you, can I get an amen on that? And so we as believers, we need to have a balance in that. That dark night of the soul. The first place we have to turn is not to medication. The first person we have to turn to is God. It's where our salvation comes. But we can get to where our aching, our eyes are aching. I can't, this deliverance, God, I need this deliverance. What if God was going to give you the deliverance through medication? Because he's given our medical community the wisdom to discern what's going on in that situation. We should take advantage of that and take that deliverance. Amen? And then take your newfound liberty and freedom and praise God with it and serve him. See, these are issues that we have to discuss as we're going through this. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? I wrote this down. Sometimes the comfort of God seems far away. It seems far away. Look at verse 83. For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. A bottle in the smoke. So remember, a bottle in these Old Testament times was a leather container. And if they put them in the smokehouse... Then they get dried out. They get sooty and dried out and cracked. And honestly, they can't hold anything. They're not good for anything. Have you ever felt like you were worthless? 
Your trouble has been so hard and you've lived under it for so long that you feel like the very moisture. Remember, the Bible says that. David will say that. I'm dried up. You, you feel like a deflated balloon. And not only that, you feel like a deflated, dried up, cracked balloon that can't hold anything. What is a dried up balloon good for? Nothing. It's not good for anything. And David is saying that this dark night of the soul had been so long and he had endured it for so long that he was so dried up that he felt like he was completely worthless and useless. To me, that's the saddest thing that trouble brings in a person's life. When they feel like they're, that they're not helpful for anyone, they're not good for anything. But notice what the Bible says. Verse 83, for I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy... What's the word? What are the statutes? Those are the truths of God that are engraved in stone. The promise that God has made to you, it is absolutely sure. And here's the thing. This is what's so important. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus has a purpose for you. Jesus loves you. Your heavenly Father created you. He has saved you. He has a purpose. And you're saying, "How? what in the world can the purpose be? I can't do anything right now. Your Father knows that. He knows right where you are. His statutes are true. Even though you feel like you can't do anything. Maybe God has you there so that you can just commune with Him in a way that no one else can. You know, as a father, it's wonderful to be needed by your kids. Because you get to a place where they don't really need you anymore. They bring some big bearded lug home and don't need you anymore. But those of you who are dads love it when the phone call comes. Dad, what do we do with... Well, let me tell you, I've got this right here. I can take care of this. Our Heavenly Father wants us to talk to Him. And honestly, any of us who've ever been through trouble, we communicate with God in a different way. Thy statutes. I yet do I not forget thy statutes. And it can get so bad. Your, your situation, you feel like you're worthless. Look at the next verse. How many are the days of thy servant? Lord, how many more days are you going to let me live? I, I don't know if I can live like this anymore. I don't, I don't know if I can take this. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He'd gone through so much persecution. He said, I'm, I'm caught in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But then he said, but for your sake, I'm going to stay. You see, Paul had been through so much torture, literally, through so much torture, beaten with rods, beaten with cats of nine tails, stoned and left for dead. 
He had been through so much literal torture. His body is racked in pain. And he said, I don't know how much more of this I can do. But then he realized, I have a purpose in life. My purpose is for you people at Philippi. You see, if you're in trouble right now and you're going through this and you feel like, Lord, I don't know how many more days I can take of this. Do you know what you need to do? You need to take your eyes off of your trouble. I'm not minimizing the trouble. And put it on the people around you that God has given you. And say, how can I help my kids? How can I invest in my spouse? My, my, my lost friends and loved ones, they don't know you. They're watching me suffer right now. They're seeing me deflated like this empty balloon. They're seeing me feel like I'm worthless. And I'm to the place where I say, God, how many more days can I take this? And you take your eyes off of your struggle. And you start to tell them, I trust you, Lord. Look, I don't know what's going on, but God's faithful. He knows right where I am. And not only can he answer this question... He knows how many more my days are. He knows. Spurgeon said, Long life now seemed a calamity rather than a benediction. Like a hired servant, he had a certain term to serve, and he would not complain of what he had to bear. But still, the time seemed long because his griefs were so heavy. He knew that God would certainly avenge His own servant, but the day of rescue tarried. The hours dragged heavily along, and the persecuted one cried day and night for deliverance. Look at the text again. How many are the days of thy servant? Then look at this. When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? You see, David's trouble was not physical. David's trouble wasn't necessarily emotional. David's trouble was he had enemies that were coming after him to kill him. They were literally trying to kill him. He couldn't go to the temple. He couldn't do the things that he wanted to do. And so he's saying, God, how long is this going to last? How many more days? Have you ever said this? God, I can't take any more. Can can we be honest? Can we do this? How many of you, I've said it. How many of you have ever prayed that? God, I can't take another day. Two thoughts. Either God didn't cause you to endure, or didn't allow you to endure it another day. Or he said, yes, you can. Because there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape, that you'll be able to bear it. The Bible says it could be chastening, it could be somebody else. Whatever it is, God knows what we can take, and He will never require us to go beyond that, unless, of course, He causes us to be martyred. What about those martyrs who go to the flames, and they say, God, deliver us. But like the children of Israel, like the the three Hebrew children, they said, we believe you'll deliver us, but if not, we will not bow. But if not... When you go to the Lord and you say, God, I can't take another day. But if you choose for me to go through another day like this, I trust you. I'm going to keep your statutes. I wonder what will turn in your life when you get to that. Look at the next verse. The proud have digged pits, verse 85. 
The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. My notes, I, I, I have, help thou me when the enemy attacks. When the enemy attacks, God, help me. It's amazing how hard the proud work to catch God's people. And uh, you know what I was thinking about? A thought came to me. Um, think about what the Nazis did to destroy God's people. The, the lengths that they went to. They had these hollerith machines that were made by IBM, and IBM leased them to the Third Reich through a guy named Willie Brandt. And they, they actually had to go into the concentration camps once a month and service these hollerith machines. IBM helped the Nazis kill all those Jews. One of the questions of history was, how did they know who the Jews were through the census? These hollerith machines were used. Something like, they provided something like 5 billion of those punch cards that they used in those machines. And they'd go in and, and they set up, the, the Nazis set up this whole system of extermination and they were helped by big business and corporations. Crazy. All of the effort, the cattle cars, the, the, the turning on people, the crystal knock, the night of broken glass and the light, night of the long knives and all of the things that the SS did and the brown shirts and all of these people that came against God's people. Why? Because they believed they were a superior race. Is there anything more arrogant or proud than that? The proud have digged pits against me. And that's what they did. And we have that today. The evolutionist says these Christians are flat earthers. And they dig pits. They, they won't allow you to get hired at a state university if you believe in creation. These things happen. They dig pits against us. So what do we do? Give up. <laughs> no. Stand for God. Just do what we're supposed to. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote. One would think that such haughty people would not have soiled their fingers with digging, but they swallowed their pride in hopes of swallowing their victim. Now listen to this. Whereas they ought to have been ashamed of such meanness, they were conscious of no shame, but on the contrary were proud of their cleverness, proud of setting a trap for a godly man. Just think about the people right now. In this past election, when, when the pro-life people came out and you had these, these female stars talking, I'm proud of my abortions. I'm proud of killing that child. Crazy. These are, the, these are the people that we're up against. And we have to understand that it's a spiritual battle. And we're looking to the courts for answers when what we have to understand is we need to pray to the God of the universe for our deliverance. Now, I want you to see something that's so interesting. Verse 85, The proud have digged pits for me, but look at what it says, which are not after thy law, which are not after thy law. Neither the men nor the pits were according to the law of God. So I want you to think about something. So let's say that your trouble is because of, of an employer, because of government, because of a spouse, um, and, and, and your trouble is because of what someone else has done. And here's what we say, God, how could you do this to me? See, one of the problems with this Calvinistic view of the world is if 
let's say that, that I am Bill Blakely's employer and I do him dirty. And Bill blames God for that. Do you know why people do that? Well, it couldn't have happened unless God wanted it to. When a child is molested, how many of you believe that's what God wants to happen? Any of you? Is that the God that you worship? No. These are things that are not according to God's law. That's why he's going to bring judgment to the world. Well, why doesn't God stop that now? He could, but that would mean that no one else could ever be saved. See, this this lawlessness that's in the world, those people that hate God, that will never turn to him, they can't stop you from turning to God. And that's why our concept of individual soul liberty is so important. Every person, every individual is a free moral agent before God. No one can make you believe anything. No one can make you think anything. That is your choice. And so, what did Joshua say? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve his enemies? You see, because these pits that are digged are not according to God's law. The other thing that I want you to notice is it wasn't just one pit, it was many pits. And David had to learn to navigate between these snares. How does he do that? Look at what it says in verse 85. The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. If men would keep the statutes of the Lord, they would lift the fallen out of the pit or fill up the pit so that none might stumble into it, but they would never spend a moment in working injury to others. You see, we as believers, here's here's a problem that we have. When someone falls into the pit that the enemy has digged, we mock them. We cut them off. We tell them that they're sinners when what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to reach down and help them out of the pit. Because what does the Bible say that God did for us? He lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet on the solid rock. That's what God has left us here in this world to do. Because Satan has digged many pits. The proud have digged many pits. And it is our job as believers to fill those pits in. How do we fill those pits in? With the truth. Can I give you an example that's going on in the news right now? How many of you think that people could have known a lot of these election errors were going to happen? Right? Uh, How many of you think that maybe, that maybe knowing who's voting would be a good idea? Would that be a good idea? How about this? Pennsylvania mailed out 1.8 million mail-in votes. They counted 2.5 million. Seven hundred thousand that came out of nowhere. How many of you believe God's doing miracles for Joe Biden? What did they do? They digged a pit. The proud. They digged a pit. And what are righteous people supposed to do? We need our political leaders to fill those pits in. 
But the Republicans are as bad as the Democrats. They have no spine. They're not willing to fight. So what do we need to do? Hold the Republicans accountable. Make them fight. Make them stand. Make these legislatures do what they're supposed to do. What, what am I saying here? Pastor, you're preaching a political... No, this is, this is a practical application that what righteous people do is they fill the pits in so that people can't fall into them. I think it was Pennsylvania for the, the Republican counties. They had drop boxes for the mail-in votes. They have to be secure. One for every 1,100 square miles. For the Democrats, it was four miles. Is that equal? No, I'm not good at math, but that's not equal. What, what do we need to do? Fill in those pits. So we as believers, we get into these places. Let's just read through this text again. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, when wilt thou comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. Those things engraved in stone. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. Well, the conclusion I have to come to is all thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. I want to read something to you. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? Martin Luther had some really bad theology, but that was a great song. Praise God. You know, the dark days, they'll come. I wish that I had a way to protect you from the dark days. Now listen, we can protect each other from the dark days by filling in some of those pits. Amen? We can help someone out of dark days by lifting them out of the pit. But what about those days where no one can help you and you just have to turn to God and realize that your strength is in Him? You have to remember His statutes are true, His commandments are faithful. Even when you can't see them. Even when you start questioning how many more days do you have to endure. Even when it all is piling on you and you feel like that's like a bottle in the smoke and you're worthless and you're empty, you're good for nothing... I promise you, God has a purpose for you. His commandments are true. His statutes are faithful. We just need to believe in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I know that I have, with faltering lips, tried to communicate this truth. And not having endured what people in this room may be enduring right now, I know that I have failed to communicate how powerful this text is. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take this word and...